We're in John chapter 7, verse 25. We're taking a little bit bigger chunks of Scripture in this. I'm going to probably go ahead and read to you all the way through verse 39 this morning, although I'm going to pick up in verse 36 next week as well. But we'll kind of tie these two together a little bit. This is almost like a part one and a part two because... What Jesus did in pronouncing himself as, as the living water and, and, and talking about the living water, speaking really of the Holy Spirit, was really in the context of what we will read and look at this morning. In John uh, 7, beginning in the 25th verse, it says, So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, Is this the man not the one whom they are seeking to kill? Or is this man not the one who, whom they are seeking to kill? And yet, look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers don't really know what this, that this is the Christ, do they? So there's one opinion. However, when we, when we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, you both know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I do know him because I am from him, and he sent me. And so they were seeking to arrest him. Imagine that. They were seeking to arrest him. And yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has done, will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I'm going to be with you, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He does not intend to go to this dispersion or the diaspora, among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this statement that he said, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And anyone who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning, that you would minister to us, and Lord, give us a sense of understanding, both intellectually, but also, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our, to our inner person, and that through this passage, you would build up our inner person, 
this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So I looked at this passage and it's, it's really, it's, it's not the first time we've seen this type of discourse with Jesus and other people, have we? And there's the, these uh, um, discussions, arguments, ideas that are thrown out, theories. I put in religious guesswork. I don't, even, I don't know if that's even a good category, but I, I was thinking about this the other day as I was reading this. Religious guesswork. Um, and with that, contention. Content, there's contention in this passage. They don't like what Jesus is saying, so they call the officers to go arrest him. Now, it's interesting that that is brought up in this passage. And then they kind of fade into the background. We'll see them again in verse 45. They try to arrest him, but his time had not yet come. Remember, earlier in the chapter, his brothers had told him, go to Jerusalem, quit hanging around the back country. I don't think you were here because I didn't have a lot of fun with it. Quit hanging around with the back country and go to the big city and Declare yourself, and you'll have that big following that you had when you were in the upper Galilee region as before. Remember Jesus' response then was, my time has not yet come. They go to arrest him. He goes to the temple. He's preaching. He's teaching. And they go to arrest him, but for some reason it, it, it doesn't happen. We're not really told why. Well, we're told why, but we're not really told the particulars of why the officers, and these would be, would be those who were kind of servants. You could even, uh, not necessarily a servant like a slave, but someone who was employed like a temple guard. But higher up on the chain than the average security guard, okay? This was like a private military of the temple. They send these guys to arrest Jesus because they don't like what he's doing, and yet nothing happens. Matter of fact, I, I, I can't, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. The officers, these are the ones that were sent to arrest Jesus. Verse 45, they came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to him, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered and said, never has a man spoken in this way. They were impressed. They were moved. I would submit to you that they were impressed and they were moved not just cognitively, intellectually, but Jesus day spoke to their heart and they heard Jesus speak into the depths of their hearts. And, and they, they could not help but just to stay back and to listen. And so, one thing to notice about this passage, and I, I brought this up already a, a few times. One, there's, there's a lot of supernatural things going on here that are not necessarily described. But just 
merely by his speech, Jesus was able to keep those who came to arrest him at bay. And quite frankly, they were more interested, I think, I'm speculating here a little bit, so give me a little latitude. If you want to disagree, keep it to yourself. How's that? But anyway, um, they were more interested in hearing the words of life that Jesus was saying rather than doing what they were charged to do. Which really leads me to think about what Peter said when he stood before the Sanhedrin. I believe it's in Acts chapter 4. And he said for, and he actually, he goes before the Sanhedrin twice. He asked the question twice. Are we to obey God or man? There are a lot of voices in this particular passage. Are we to listen to God or to man? Well, I think that's a question that particularly in these times where there is a multitude of different opinions on just about any particular topic, Instead of listening to the right, politically, or the left, have you ever considered shutting off those avenues and attempting to listen to the Spirit? Now, I think part of why Jesus uses this time at tabernacles, and I'm going to unpack this for you later next week, but when he talks about this idea of, of giving them living water. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water, which John inserts in here. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, what's interesting about this passage even is that John only records that sentence. Did Jesus say more than that? When he stood up and said, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. That's pretty clear. That's, pretty, that's really cutting everything really. Uh, uh, he's making very sharp distinctions, right? He isn't saying, well, you know, if you're kind of thirsty, uh, 3 o'clock I've got a lemonade stand open. Or I've got some extra bottles of water in the back of the truck on ice if you guys want some. But he's making very clear, distinctive statements that you either have to accept or that you reject. Because he's saying that in the, John is framing this for us, this whole time at, at uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, John is telling us that that there was a multitude of opinions about who he was. Some loved him and wanted to follow him. Some thought he was the Messiah. Some thought that maybe he was the Messiah, but they don't know where he comes from. Well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Some could not understand why they wanted to kill him. Some wanted to kill him even more. Lots of voices. 
lots of opinions. All of them, with the exception of one, were not correct. That fascinates me. You know, it's... Who was it that said the more things change, the more they stay the same? I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Uh, but I'm convinced... As, as I look at and, and, and look at the, the crowd reactions. And when Jesus is speaking here, it's important to understand because he is speaking to a very large group of people, some who believe in him and some who do not. And he's trying to cover all of those bases. And so, it fascinates me that they're questioning. Uh, uh, the rulers, they don't even know if, if he's the Christ, do they? Verse 26. But then it says, however, verse 27, when we know where this man is from, we know where this man is from. They thought he was from Nazareth. Well, he was. But they didn't understand that he was not born. In Nazareth, they didn't understand that he fulfilled the prophecy in Micah, where he was—I think it's Micah five two—where he was born in Bethlehem. But there's this idea: when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. So, like today, like then, or like then, like today—however you want to say it. Maybe you don't want to say it at all. Maybe you don't believe it. Okay, your mileage may vary. There were false ideas based on false interpretations of Old Testament passages of what the Messiah would be about. And one of those false beliefs is actually recorded in... in uh, Justin, second century, Justin, a Christian apologist, in his dialogue with Trypho, who was a, who was a Jewish um, apologist, if you will, and they're debating about Christ being the Messiah, and it's all written down for us in the book called Dialogues. Actually, Justin became a martyr uh, shortly after this. But it's, it's recorded that Trypho says to Justin, the Messiah, even if he is born and actually exists somewhere, is an unknown. See, the, the, what Trypho was doing, and whether he realized or not, he was, he was really slipping into this, 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 this Gnostic, mystical idea that, that you, you would experience God in the nothingness of existence, which really doesn't connect with either testament. Uh, it doesn't line up with the scriptures. And there was this idea that the Messiah would not even know he was the Messiah until Elijah would come and tell him that he was the Messiah. That was some of the thinking. Now, you understand in, in where uh, Malachi talks about uh, the forerunner that will come in the spirit of Elijah, 
who will, who will be the herald of the great day of the Lord, who, who will be the forerunner of the Messiah. But they took these things and they ran with them. We do that today. We've done it throughout church history. I'm tempted, but I'm not going to pick on certain views that I just think we, we took them, those and we ran with them rather than staying close to the given word of God. I'm seeing certain pastors, and if you listen to them, that's your business, who are taking things in current events and running with them today. In my opinion, and you may disagree with me, but in my opinion, what they are doing is essentially being like these folks here in John chapter 7. There, there's all this speculation and all this, this, well, what if this happens then? If this fits into this, then this must be an indication that this is going to happen or that's going to happen. And it's end time stuff. I think you understand what I'm talking about. What I have learned, and I've had to learn it over the years, and I've had to learn it the hard way, and if, if the pandemic didn't teach me personally anything, it, it was this, it, is to simply focus my remaining years, because I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we're not going to have another experience like the pandemic again one of these days. But I'm... And I strive to do it then. And quite frankly, I made some folks mad because I strived to do it then because I really didn't want to hear what they had found on the Internet. And that, you know, you have to understand that not everything on the Internet is true. All right? And if you Google junk, you're going to get junk. If you want to read a certain topic about a certain thing, you run it through Google, and it'll give you exactly that. Doesn't mean, and Google does not care whether it's true. It's not designed to tell you whether it's true or not. And then you throw in the issues of artificial intelligence, and oh my goodness gracious, God help our grandkids. Really. Um, I don't know where to go with that one. But what I have learned, and that's really the crux of what I really want to talk about on this this morning. And I've been saying it and saying it and saying it. Hopefully you've been hearing it. Because there are so many competing voices. And perhaps that is what the writer of the book of Hebrews might have been referring to and said when he said, seeing that we are encompassed by so great of witnesses or so great a cloud of witnesses. Maybe what he's really saying is that we are surrounded with many different opinions and it's very easy to get caught up in a different opinion. It's very easy to get caught up in, in a certain 
uh, mindset of thinking. And what I am striving to do is to listen to the still small voice. Because Fox News will not save my soul. ABC, NBC, CBS, I don't even remember. There used to only be three networks. I still I don't even know how many there are now. Howard Stern. These guys aren't going to save my soul. And what is interesting about this discussion here in John 7 is that some of these folks had bits and pieces and understanding of the truth. And yet, they did not hear with spiritual ears. Now, it's important to understand that when Jesus is talking here, he's really talking in, 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 in... in two different modes. He's talking physically or materially, but he's also talking spiritually. Now, I think us as Christians, we need to hear both. We need to hear both. He says, when I'm going to go away, and where I'm going, you can't come. And they're thinking he's going to go on the run. That's my, my take on this. Because they're going to arrest him, right? So he's going to become a fugitive. And he's going to go preach to the Greeks. So what do you mean? What do you mean I can't come? What do you mean you're going to go away and I can't come? Obviously, we know what he's referring to, right? He's referring to the cross. He's referring to the grave. He's referring to the resurrection. He's referring to the ascension. And... He goes back to their belief in God where where he says, you know, you both know me and you know where I'm from. Okay, he's already kind of said that before in the earlier chapters. And I have not come on myself. He said that in chapter 5. He said that in chapter 6. But he who sent me is true whom you do not know. So that would tell me, and this may be very narrow, may be too narrow for you to handle. But that would tell me that quite possibly if they do not know the Father, and how do we know the Father today? Through Jesus. If they do not know the Father, maybe maybe we need to take with a grain of salt what they are saying. Because if they do not know the Father, if they have not come to the Father through Jesus Christ, God the Son, and then are filled with the Holy Spirit, maybe they don't have a whole lot to speak into our lives anyway. And even some of those pastors, one guy in particular that I'm thinking, I'm not going to tell you who he is, I really respected this guy. He is one of the few that I used to like to listen to from time to time, and I would take notes and, and even steal some of his stuff, you know, and put it in my messages, right? 
It's like he's gone off the reservation. Paul, when he came to Corinth, he tells us in the first and second chapter, particularly in the second chapter, I determined not to know anything among you other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he goes on to say, and I was with you in weakness and trembling and in, in, in fear. I imagine he must have been hard to watch if he was in my mind as, as I picture that. But he was also convinced. I'm going to take the time and turn instead of just piecing it. This one's for you, Cindy. I'm going to go out of the ESV. 1 Corinthians 2. He said, I was, verse 3, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message was, were not in plausible words of wisdom. Greeks, now the Corinthians, they're Greeks, right? They're very, they're very Greek Greeks, by the way. And they're very carnal Greeks, by the way. And they're, if you think today is bad, you should do some studying of classical literature. They were as bad, if not worse. They really were. But they valued they didn't have TV. They didn't have internet, right? They couldn't put it on Instagram or Twitter or any of these other things, right? But they valued getting up and giving a speech, particularly in the realm of philosophy. It's called rhetoric. And he said, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, right? Sophia, the love of wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That they would rest in the power of God. How do you do that? I think that's a good question. Because I've had people tell me they heard the Spirit. I've told you guys this many times, right? That they're hearing the Spirit speak to them, and I'm thinking, I'm not hearing the Spirit speak to them in this. Part of why, I think a major reason why, maybe we should stop and think sometimes more why, why I, 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 I just want to teach through the Bible, books of the Bible, right? And, and why I do that is because I want you to be cerebrally, cognitively informed about our faith. But it is my hope, it is my prayer that it doesn't stop just in your brain. 
Remember the story I told you about the guy who went away to Bible college, he did really good, and he got his money's worth and then some, but he came back just as a jerk as he was when he left. He should have gone back for another, another couple years maybe, I don't know. He got all this knowledge, but it did not change his heart into the likeness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who says, take my yoke upon me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did that is recorded for us in the four Gospels and even referred to in some of the letters are incredible example of not just the correct way to live, although it is, but I hope in reading these things, that we understand the heart of the matter. That is, we see in Jesus the heart of a servant. We see in Jesus a heart like the heart of the Father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And asking God, asking the Lord, asking the Spirit, and again, when I talk of one, I talk of all three. But show us the Father's heart. What is the Father's heart for these things? You know, I... There are times as I, I think about where the world is at that the Lord must look down and just say, oh boy, right? And maybe he does. But I think really he looks upon us with a heart of compassion. With a heart of love. With a heart of really brokenness. For the way and the condition that the world is in today. For the way and the condition that the world really has always been. Especially when you think about the entirety of church, or excuse me, of world history, but it began where? In Eden, where God walked with man in the cool of the day. How far, <coughs> excuse me, how far we've gone from that. Jesus says, you both know me and you know where I'm from. What is he saying? I think he's speaking physically. I think he's speaking spiritually. You both know me. You know that I'm Jesus who grew up in Nazareth. You may or may not know that I was born in Bethlehem, right? I think he's saying that. But I think he's also saying, you both know me because in my words there is something that is penetrating your heart that you can't not deny. And you know 
that I am from the Father, the Father that you claim you know but do not know. See, what that sentence does is he takes these people to the point of decision. We saw that really in John chapter 6 where Jesus was talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. What do you do with that? You see here in John 7, you, this, this, this turmoil, this, this, and, and the, the Greek is, is, is plainer in that. There's argumentation going on here about who he is. And Jesus is saying, you're hearing it. You're hearing the voice of the Spirit. And I don't know how to describe that because I asked you, how do, how, do we, how do we know that God is speaking? This is a horrible thing to say to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. I can't necessarily define it, but I know when I hear it. I just know. Does that make it very subjective? Yeah, it does. It does. Because I know, again, other people who very subjectively have heard what they thought was the Spirit of God tell them things that are not consistent with the historic Christian faith, and I'm thinking, you didn't hear it. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a problem with that. There's a need to be cautious with that. But God has called us to have a relationship with him that goes farther than just our brains. It's the idea of the heart again. And how we receive him into our heart. We receive his words into our heart. Uh, and if anyone, uh, he, he goes on and says, I, I do know him because I am from him and he sent me. He's referring to the Father. I know him and, and because I am from him and he sent me. That word is apostolos. From which we get the word, you know, apol, ap, uh, apostle. There we go. So essentially, Jesus is the apostle of the Father, the one who was sent. And so they didn't like what he had to say, so they want to arrest him. But of course, his hour has not yet come. And I find that fascinating because, I, again, there's a lot of gaps here that are not really filled in well for us by John. And I, I think it's done that way on purpose because I don't know about you, and I don't know how, many, how much you, time you've spent in this passage, and I would encourage you to read it some more. But the more I read this, I, I, I'm, I'm just fascinated. I have more questions than I have answers. And what do you do with those questions? Hopefully you do something with those questions. Hopefully you put those questions before the Lord and say, I, I don't know what's going on here, and, and could you fill in the gaps? Maybe. But as I shared with you when we looked at, at the, the, the Bread of Life discourse, we don't have all the answers, but it doesn't mean we keep, we, it doesn't mean that we stop trying. It means that we continue to persevere in relationship to God, and he will show us in due time. They come to arrest him, but it's not time yet. 
And, and that is a, the principle of God's sovereignty. And even in us understanding the truths of God, the things of God, and, and yes, I have changed in, in my theology uh, from the ch- compared to the church that I grew up in and the, the seminaries I went to and different churches. Uh, yes, I have changed, but that was all a matter, I believe, of God's timing. And, and sitting with him in the place of, first of all, being willing to admit I don't understand. And so, and, and I'm a big believer in this, and, and this is going to tr- get me in trouble in my seminary class that I'm taking now, but that's okay. I still hold very strongly to the idea of, I believe, in order that I might understand. It's Augustine. I have faith, I trust in God, even though I don't get it. So many people I met during the Jesus movement, it seemed like everybody was getting saved, right? But then they would come across scriptures, situations, life events that they did not understand, therefore they stopped believing because they didn't understand. It didn't make sense to them, so obviously this must not work. So they led with this idea of reasoning rather than this idea of stepping out in faith. God has called his people, I believe, primarily to step out in faith. And as we trust in him, the reasoning, the understanding will follow. But again, where else are we to go? Where else are we to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. Even though he didn't get it, but he got it. He, he, he knew where the source was. But his hour had not yet come. And yet many of the crowds believed in him. And he tells them he's going to go away. And so they, they want to argue about they want to argue about that. That fascinates me because it becomes this argument about where you are going and everybody wants to get ahead of the curve. The speculation of end times, especially in the 70s, who was the Antichrist? Who was the Antichrist this week, right? You know, and, and, and everybody just wanting to get, a, get ahead of the curve. Why? Because they, they, we, 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 all, we all fell into this, this trap of if I know more about the Bible, that means I'm more spiritual. Is that true? Are we to study to show ourselves approved? A workman needs to not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth? Yes. But there's this, you see this, you see it now, you saw it then. You see it in this passage. They're wanting to get ahead of the curve. 
because they are not content as Paul was content that I determined not to know anything among you other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, and unfortunately to a lot of Christians, that priority loses its luster after a while. And I think when we lose that luster uh, of, of knowing Christ, that, that is, that is a, a marker for us that we need to return back to our first love. So they, they, they're having this disputation. They're arguing. And all he tells them is, you will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And from that, he says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And the one who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow living water. So the bottom line of all of this discourse that we see from verse 25 all the way to verse 35 is that if you are thirsty, come to Jesus and drink. If you are thirsty, come to him. You know, it's interesting to me because he simply says, come to me. It doesn't say, come to me, and, and while you're at it, you're going to need to read your Bible for 30 minutes a day and then pray another 25 minutes a day or pray another 15 minutes a day. He doesn't qualify it. He just says simply, come to me. Do you understand how relational that is? Think about it. And we all want to dress it up with things that, yes, are good, yes, are necessary, yes, are biblical, but we want to dress it up and and make it much bigger than the invitation that we've been given to simply come to Jesus. And so I would say that in these troubling times, which in reality, they probably have always been troubling, simply come to Jesus. So next week, we're going to look and see much deeper what he's talking about here. When he says, come to me and let him drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So my question is, are you thirsty?